Okay, we are on lesson eight of the winter quarter. The title of the lesson is The Jews Dedicate the Walls. Scriptures covered are Nehemiah 9, verse 38, through chapter 12, verse 47. So, Lord, we thank you for the uh, this historic record of the Jews rebuilding a destroyed Jerusalem, a destroyed temple, and all because um, of the Abrahamic covenant. You promised them that you would keep them, and so you moved to draw them back and have them rebuild their temple and their city and then reestablish the Mosaic covenant there. So that is just an awesome feat. And it uh, is the uh, first seven weeks of the 70-week Daniel prophecy being fulfilled. So as we look at this and see how they rejoiced with your what you did among them, we pray that we also may rejoice with what you do among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the lesson starts with a passed over portion in the quarterly, and that's uh, chapter 9, verse 38, through chapter 10, verse 37. Remember last week there was a long confession that we went over that they all recited and outlining their history and God's faithfulness and then their unfaithfulness to him. And then they signed a document. And, the do and you know, we're going to go over the terms of that document here. But basically, it was to obey the Mosaic law. And the civil leaders, the Levites and the priests, signed it. And it listed all the Hebrew names. So we'll, <laughs> yes, it did. So we'll, we'll not go through every name. But um, anyway, so we'll pick it up with section A. The Jews promised to keep the law. And that's chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. So can I get somebody to read that? Verses 28 through 33. Chapter 10. Okay. No, that's it. Thank you. That's a lot to know. Yeah, the Mosaic Law is very detailed and very extensive. So um, we, in the age of grace, have it much easier, I think. So anyway, verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. So um, this is essentially everybody, right? It lists the leaders, uh, the civil leaders, the priests, Levites, those who work in the temple, the gatekeepers, the singers, so the musicians, every everybody related to the temple, and wives and sons, you know, children. So everybody who had knowledge and understanding. So basically everyone who was old enough to understand what was happening were involved in this. And, uh, and what were they involved in? They were involved in verse 29. They're joining 
with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. So a curse and an oath. What curse? What is the curse? Is there a curse associated with the Mosaic law? Exactly. There, the Mosaic law is written in such a way, a blessing and a curse, right? Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. That is written into the Mosaic law. If you look at De Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy gives the blessings and the curses associated with the Mosaic law. The blessings are written down in chapter 28, verse 1, through verse 14. And they're very good. The curses go from verse 15 through verse 68. So the, so the blessings are outweighed by the curses by about a factor of four. If you just count the verses, a little over four. And if you go through the curses and then you think about Israel's history, it parallels Israel's history and the things that they went through, up in, including the siege of Jerusalem under the Babylonians, the cannibalism that that caused in the city, you know, and being deported. So that is the curse. The curse is that, and a further curse that is written in that same chapter is a worldwide dispersion of the Jews into um, captivity. That is yet future from what we're studying here, because that happened with Titus. And uh, so, yeah, so they are taking on themselves a curse, and no, that's the curse, and they're taking it on them. You know, the Lord already understands this. I mean, he put it, they agreed to this Mosaic covenant at Sinai. And so they're under the curse, you know, and the oath already. But now they're agreeing to go along with it, you know, because they've been out of it. They've been in uh, captivity. They have been unable to obey many of the commands, just as they are now. The Jews can't be, uh, obey many, a lot of the commands of the Mosaic Law because there's no temple. And mo a lot of them pertain to the temple and sacrificial system. So now they have rebuilt all that. And also, if you want to look at curses, you know, if you're into that, you can look at Leviticus 26, 14 through 46, which, you know, kind of parallels that Deuteronomy passage. So the curse for disobedience was already written in. Um, the Mosaic law was written for a saved people you know, people who are already saved. And so if they trusted the Lord and they would agree with him, he would bless them for that. And if they didn't, then he would turn up the heat. And the heat was turned up eventually real high. So living as the Lord outlines will bring you into conflict with the world at many points. Has anyone experienced this? If you live as the Lord outlines, you will come into conflict. 
with people around you. It's inevitable. So this is something in the uh, quarterly. It's called An Outsider's View of the Sabbath. And uh, I'll just read the whole thing. It says, After the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews became zealous keepers of the law. Many surrounding nations found Jewish customs incomprehensible. About the end of the first century, the Roman historian Tacitus wrote these words. Yeah, you know, they became such zealous keepers of the law that they added on to it. They added on to the law. This is the Talmud, the Mishnah, all these things. And, uh, you know, they, they misapplied it. If they had stayed with Mosaic Judaism, they would have been ready to accept the Messiah when he came. But they didn't do that. But anyway, this is what the Roman historian Tacitus thought about the Jews. Moses, wishing to secure for the future his authority over the nation, gave them a novel form of worship, opposed to all that is practiced by other men. We are told that the rest of the seventh day was adopted because this day brought with it a termination of their toils. After a while, the charm of indolence beguiled them into giving giving up the seventh year also to inaction. This worship, however, introduced is upheld by its antiquity. All their other customs, which are at once perverse and disgusting, owe their strength to their very badness. So that's what the Romans thought of the Jewish way of life. They, they were very bad. So what about our stance against uh, homosexual relationships today? That will put you into conflict with the world. And it's getting so that it will put you into legal conflict. It did. Yeah, I mean, when our nation was founded, many of the laws were written in, in concert with the Bible. You know, things that the Bible taught were written into law in many in the federal government and in the states um, and that's one of them so and how about a belief in a border we believe in the nation state because god created nations at babel our our uh, leaders do not well i don't know but i mean europe doesn't believe it either you know europe europe has already regionalized yes. and we're on and now our uh I just learned this a couple of days ago that our, you know, we had the president meet with the leaders of Mexico and Canada. Yep. And there, they want to regionalize these three countries into one, like the European Union. Not, it's called the North American Union. It's on the White House website. What is this? This is the reassembly of Babel. This is the end time, the Ten Kings of the end time will be one king over each of ten regions on earth. We will be one. And our government is fully on board with this right now. So, but that puts us at odds with our culture. Just like the Jews. So in verse 30, it says, And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land, or take their daughters for our sons. So that is part of the Mosaic Law, and it's a specific part of the law which Ezra had trouble with several years before, right? We learn about that, that he can 
they came up to Ezra and said, a lot of people have married foreign women. And that's when Ezra fasted and prayed, and, and then they came up with a plan to have them divorce all these wives, unless they had converted to Mosaic Judaism. And there were about 120 divorces. So they, this was very fresh in their mind, this part of the Mosaic Law, so that they're calling that piece out specifically. We will not do that. The other thing was that they specifically called out the Sabbath observance and the seventh-year Sabbath of the land. That's verse 31. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops, the seventh year, and the exaction of every debt. So why do you think they called out the foregoing of the crops on the seventh year? Yeah, that was part of the Mosaic Law. The Lord had told them to do that. And from the time of their, I don't think they ever did it, but from the time of the kings, they never did it. And that was given as a reason specifically for the captivity. So that's in Second Chronicles 36, and it's uh, verses 20 and 21. It says, Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. The he there is Nebuchadnezzar. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, okay, which they didn't do. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete, which is 490 years, 70 weeks of years. So that is the, you know, God gave one specific reason why they, he sent them into captivity. They didn't obey the Sabbath rest for the land. So to give the land the 70 years of Sabbath rest that it missed, he sent them into captivity for that long. And that was accrued over 490 years because it's only once every seven years that they would have to do that, see? And what's interesting is that also they were sent in for 70 years because of 490 years of disobedience. And then Daniel's prophecy was 70-week prophecy which turns out to be 490 years. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting, yeah. So, yeah. In Leviticus 25.4 is that specific uh, command of the Mosaic Law. It says, During the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So to obey that requires faith doesn't it? Because you're not getting the produce that year. So you have to trust the Lord that he will supply you, which he said that he would, but they didn't believe him. And then Deuteronomy 15 tells about the forgiving of debts. So Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, at the end of every seven years you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. 
from a foreigner, you may exact it. So it wasn't for everybody. You could go for it with the Gentiles. But your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. So that was part of the Mosaic Law, too, that if you had a loan outstanding at that seven-year mark, you had to forgive it and just let him have it. That takes faith, too. And then in verse 32, it goes on to say, We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. That provision was first given in Exodus uh, chapter 30 and verse 12 through 14, but it was a half a shekel, not a third of a shekel. So the quarterly, and I don't know the reason for this, so the quarterly was proposing that either they were too poor to give the half shekel or the shekel under the Persians was larger than the shekel which was you know, by that time it would have been, oh gosh, maybe a thousand years before in Exodus that they proclaimed the half shekel annual tax for every male over 20 years. Yeah, and what was that? That was to pay for, verse 33, for the showbread, because every week they were to make 12 loaves, fresh loaves, and set it out in the tabernacle for the continual grain offering. So, you know, they had daily sacrifices for the continual burnt offering. So for animals, by the animals, for the Sabbath, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. So to purchase the sacrifices that were required to keep it going. There's a lot of sacrifices <laughs> under the Mosaic sacrificial system. You know, twice daily they sacrificed a lamb, and then they had great multiples of this, you know, at the feasts that went on for days. A lot of, uh, there's a lot of lamb chops going around during this time. But this is what the Lord commanded. And so this was to supply that. They were supplying temple worship. How does that apply to us? Does it apply to us? Is it Does it translate to us in any way at all? You know, this is under a different dispensation, the dispensation of the law to the Jews. We're under the age of grace, but they're supporting the function of their temple. Does that apply to us at all? That's why we give, right? One of the main reasons we give, it's not stated... They stated a third of a shekel per person per year, okay, written out. You know, when they say to bring a tithe, you bring a tenth of your best crop, the best of your crop. Um, you know, their tithe, their giving was spelled out in the law. We are told to give. We are not told to give how much. We are not to, told to give what. You know, we assume it's money. doesn't have to be money. could be something else. Um, but we're told to give. And uh, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, guides us as to what we shall give. But um, the support for worship is still important today because it takes stuff to make things run. You know, we live in a physical world. 
physical needs are required for the church. So that part of faith is that. Is your discussion with the Lord, okay, how am I going to support worship? So anything more on that? Section B is the promise to support the temple. And that's verses 34 through 39 of chapter 10. I'll read that one. So this is a continuation, really, of what we read before. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to our father's households, at fixed times annually, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually, and bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law, for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine, and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. The priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Yeah, that last thing, we will not neglect the house of our God. The kings earlier were guilty of that in spades. They would neglect the house of God. They would leave it empty. They would put uh, they would put uh, false uh, idols in it. <laughs> you know they abused it terrifically. So, so the exiles are coming and they're promising that they won't neglect the temple. So then, verse thirty-four. Now this is something interesting. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God. Is contributing wood part of the Mosaic Law? Does anybody know, know that? No, that is not part of the Mosaic Law. Mosaic Law says nothing about wood. <laughs> but you burn sacrifices, and that takes wood, right? And so they put that in there, and they made up a system and cast lots so that... You know, varying families would bring wood, and I suppose they had a certain amount set out. It says at fixed times annually, so you would have, maybe you'd have for like a month, we're going to bring the wood, you know, this tribe or this family or something. And you were scheduled to gather the wood and bring it to the temple to burn. There's a box about this, too, in our quarterly so it's on page 68. It says, The exiles pledged in part to bring wood to the temple for the burnt offerings. The Jewish Mishnah, a collection of oral teachings, mentions nine occasions on which families brought supplies of wood to the temple. 
It states that all the wood was acceptable, except olive wood and grapevine. Josephus wrote, so he was a Jewish historian uh, a little after the time of Christ, wrote that a festival of wood offering eventually developed as an annual event celebrated on the 14th of Av, the fifth month, July to August. The temple scroll from Qumran indicates the wood gathering lasted for six days following an olive oil festival. So that's just a little historical tidbit. But, and then verse 35, that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually. So there's a festival of the first fruits. Um, and, you know, that it typifies Jesus as the first fruit of the resurrection. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. The resurrection, I uh, know that comes out of the Exodus. You know, the Exodus uh, was the first time the Lord said that because the, he, all of the Egyptian firstborn had been killed. And so he, when they got out, he says, you shall redeem your firstborn sons. Every firstborn of every womb, including the animals, was God's. You know, and it made me think, I just read that this morning, and it made me think, I wonder if, you know, in devout Catholic families, the firstborn son many times is kind of pushed to be a priest. I wonder if that is from that. I don't know, but it just makes me think that. But, um, yeah, and so you're supposed to redeem your son with, I think it's five shekels. Your firstborn son, you redeem, you know. And to the priests. Yeah, to the priests. And it goes into the temple treasury. So, um, yeah, and every firstborn of a you, you know, a female sheep, was to be sacrificed. It was the Lord's. You know, every um, sacrificial animal, the firstborn, was to be sacrificed. And for a working animal like a donkey, you would sacrifice a sacrificial animal for the donkey, or you're to break the donkey's neck and kill it, because it was the Lord's. I guess you burn it or bury it or get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't eat the donkey. You don't eat the donkey, no. So, but, you know, the Lord declared after the Exodus that every firstborn, every firstborn from every womb is mine. Yeah, see, it's a different dispensation, right? We don't deal with that, no, because the Lord has changed how he operates with us. And so, and I'm thankful that we do not live under the law of Moses, you know, um, because it's very uh, challenging. But um, And not everyone had the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came on some and left others. Not every, every, believe, not every believer had the Holy Spirit in, the, in those days, so like we do now. So we have more power than they did. So, and that is the first fruit of the crops is from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26. That's where that portion of the Mosaic Law was introduced. Uh, 26 verses 1 and 2, Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and live in it, 
that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. So this is not a tithe. This is some of the first fruits. So you take a basket full and offer it. And then verse 10 of chapter 26, Deuteronomy says, Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So it's a thank offering. Yeah, and then the firstborn of sons and animals, you know, bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written, for the priests. Okay, that's from Exodus chapter 13. So you have to have a good memory to live under the Mosaic Law, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it says, and it shall be when your son asks you in time. No, wait, is this right? Yeah. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Why are you doing this? Offering the firstborn. Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it is a sign. So verse 16 says, So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So this was instituted to remind them the Lord brought them out of Egypt and spared them from the firstborn plague, which came on all the Egyptians. And the sons were re, uh, redeemed with five silver shekels, and that can be found in Leviticus 27, verse 6. Then verse 38, the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, so And they do this in the individual towns outside of Jerusalem. And the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouses. So the people were to give a tenth. That was their tithe. The Levites were to gather those tithes. And that was their, that was how they were supported, the Levites. And the Levites were to take a tenth of what was given to them it was supposed to be the best of what was given to them and give that to the priests. So, um, and that's how the priests and the Levites were supported. And they had a priest with them, the Levites, Levites, to oversee the tithe giving in the towns to make sure it was done correctly. And then finally they said, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. So the place of worship is important. You know, in our day, we can worship any place. Uh, we don't have a special building that God designed. You know, God designed the temple. It's his, he's the architect of it. And uh, that was the place where you were to go. If you wanted to be blessed, if you're a believer who wanted to be blessed, you were 
following the Mosaic Law. Now, our next book we look at, we'll talk about those Jews who chose not to be blessed in that way. They could have gone back to Jerusalem. They were allowed to. The Persian king says, anyone who wants to go can go. The book of Esther is about the Jews who didn't do that. They stayed in Persia because they were comfortable. So they were not obtaining that blessing. Okay? So, right, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. There will be a temple in the millennium, and that will be amazing. And they'll reinstitute sacrifices. There'll be a sacrificial system. It won't be exactly the same. But that will be a memorial, a remembrance of what Jesus did in the past. So, but yeah, we you know we want to help to support our our place of worship as we can. Okay, so there's another passage that is skipped over, which is Nehemiah 11 through chapter 12, verse 26. And uh, it's mainly a list of people. Lots of people. Lots of people. And households. Now, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. Because remember, Jerusalem was a rubble, and they didn't want to live there because it was uncomfortable there. Um, so they cast lots for one out of ten to go live, and and the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. If you volunteered to live in Jerusalem, God bless you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I think they probably brought their family. Yeah, they brought their family with them. You know, because this is the f the first seven weeks of Daniel's prophecy. It said it will be rebuilt in difficulty, right? I'll read that to you again. That is Daniel, I think it's 9.24. Yeah, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree, that's Artaxerxes, which we went over, 444 B.C., to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So they divide the 69 weeks into two parts. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. That's what we're looking at now with Nehemiah, this building, even in times of distress. So it wasn't easy. They had to trust God to do this. So section C Two choirs march atop the walls. And that's chapter 12, verses 27 through 39. Can I get someone to read that one? Okay, you did it. Good job. Good job, Shirley. Yeah, a lot of names, a lot of Hebrew names. I didn't know what I was getting into. So yeah, after rebuilding the wall... And recommitting to the Mosaic Law, they celebrated. They celebrated. Okay? So, um, 
Verse 27, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniments of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So loud worship music. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites. There were fewer Levites than there were priests at that time. And you can see that in the genealogies. There's like 400 and some priests. There's 74 Levites. So they're gathering the Levites uh, to be involved in this because they are involved in this. And uh, then verse 30, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Now these are saved people, right? They believed. And yet they purified themselves when they did this. And how did they purify themselves? This is Exodus verse 40, uh, chapter 40. Uh, it's Exodus 40, verse 30, yeah. Moses placed the laver, which contains water, between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. That's how the priests purified themselves, the peoples and the and the gates and such were probably purified with animal sacrifices. So how do we purify ourselves for worship when we come to worship? We confess our sins. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, and that's when, you know, you give time for communion to consider how things are with you and, uh, confess your sins you know that's how we purify ourselves and that's our first john 1 9 our go-to verse you know if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us to cleanse us that's how we purify ourselves from all unrighteousness so when we come to worship we want to be fully confessed <laughs> that's how we're that's how we purify ourselves um so in verse 31 then, then I, this is Nehemiah, had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall and I appointed two great choirs. The first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuse gate and then he lists all the people and Ezra was leading that group. And the second choir in verse 38 proceeded to the left while I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of furnaces to the broad wall. So Ezra led, Nehemiah followed. Why do you think that was? Exactly, yeah. Ezra was a priest. Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah was the governor. So he put himself last. Okay? Yeah, he's a good governor. So, um, yeah, and that, you know, that's how several of the kings got in trouble. Saul got in trouble by trying to assume the roles of a priest. He had his kingdom taken away. You know, Uzziah was stricken with leprosy when he walked into the temple and tried to assume the roles of a priest. So, you you know, the Lord has... that The priests are the priests. 
and they're going to stay the priests. If you tried to take over their duties, the Lord will not look kindly upon that. And Nehemiah understood that. Exactly, yeah, he lost his kingship that way. Okay, so the last section, section D, the Jews rejoice in dedication. I'll read that, section 40 through 47. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So what they had done was they'd walked around on top of the walls of the city, then gone down the stairs into the courtyard of the temple. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So did I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with the trumpets, and Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Azer. And the singers sang with Jezrehiah their leader. And on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. On that day men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required, and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. So everything was functioning fully. So both choirs marched halfway around the city and ended up in the temple, and they had a worship service. So Colossians 3.16 talks about worshiping with songs and psalms and um, spiritual songs. Worship is a response to truth. It's, the verse in Colossians starts with the word of Christ dwelling richly within us. When we realize what we have, what God has given us, it causes worship to spring up in us. Here God had given them great joy, which we have, always available to us. So the temple worship and the Mosaic sacrificial, sacrificial system was fully established. This was the place to be, as opposed to those who stayed in Persia. The tithes were freely given, but not by all, and that's in Malachi. So anyway, Lord, uh, we're running out of time, but we thank you, and God bless you, and uh, amen.